So welcome to another episode of The Body Mechanic with Rob Arnold from Chrysalis Fitness Training. Um, this week, we are going to be talking about running. Good or bad for you? Question mark. Um, first of all, Rob, how are you today? I'm not too bad. I've got a little bit of a tickle in the throat, so if I cough, I'm sorry. I can edit those things out <laughs> by the magic of editing. Uh, yes, we do do some editing on this podcast. I'm intrigued by this title because when you said to me, I thought, oh, right, oh, is he going to say running's really bad or is he going to say it's really good? Running, is it good or bad? So um, we, we have to look at, at running uh, and, and how it affects people these days. People run. If you think about the amount of people you know that run, people get bad knees, they get damaged knees, they get bad backs, they get problems with the hips. There's a thing called plantar fasciitis. They get that. I mean, you've got that as well, haven't you? Yeah, I have, basically. I certainly don't run at the moment. But um, yeah, so plantar fasciitis is, if you've got a like a bruise on the bottom of your foot, it feels like a bruise, but it's not. It's something else. Yeah, it, it's really painful on your heel. And, and uh, things like iliotibial band syndrome, which is also kind of known as, or nicknamed runner's knee, and that can be painful as well. When you look at all these things, add it up, then running must be bad for you. However, it's not because if it was bad for you, then we probably wouldn't exist as we do as a race. And it all goes back to our ancestry and, and evolution. We're going to look at a thing called persistence hunting. So with persistence hunting, that was first suggested by um, a guy called David Carrier in 1984. And he was a, a doctoral student at the University of Michigan. And then someone else saw that and they took it on and, and developed it. Someone involved in the uh, science of human history. So persistence hunting is where people will hunt by chasing down an animal and they'll just keep running until the animal gets tired and then catch it. So it's basically go back to those hunter-gatherer caveman type instincts. Yeah, yeah. And there's still tribes in the world that use it today. So in uh, in Tanzania, there's a, a tribe called the Hadza tribe. They use it. There's a, a couple of tribes in Botswana and, and Aboriginals still use it as well. And it, it's all to do with how you move. So. Compared to other animals, or most other animals, we've got but massive, massive bums. That's the, the part of us which defines us and makes us bipedal, makes us stand up on two feet. Um, if you think of a horse, a horse can run quite well, but it has got really small glute muscles, so the glute muscles are your bum muscles, in comparison to, to us, in, in comparison to the rest of our body. So we look at, we look at running and, and what's integrated from the rest of our body in running. So we've got mobility, flexibility, posture, affected heart strength and affected um, diaphragmatic or, or breathing strength. So it's, it's all down to the way we sweat as well. So we've got quite a lot of um, sweat pores and they, they can let out quite a lot of sweat. So we don't overheat. When you look at um, something like a dog, not that we chase dogs down, but, um, but for instance, dogs, they pant to, to cool down. And it's similar with a lot of other animals. But also the other thing that we've got that is, is kind of dividing from, from other animals is the way we breathe. So we can take several steps while running and take one breath, whereas other animals will take a breath for every step. So they get fatigued faster. So they might be faster than us. They'll run off. And by using tracking methods, I mean, they might just run. If you think like an antelope, they might just run a little bit off and then stop because they, they know they're faster than us. But over time, we just keep going, keep going, keep going. And the animal can't. It'll eventually get too fatigued and then it'll get caught. And that is persistence hunting in, in a nutshell, really. 
this is why we've developed our, the way we run and we can run and run and run in order to catch the animal that is going to eventually just get become tired. Yeah. So when we look at running and the injuries that are said about, we have to look at why we get them and then we can look at footwear. So if, if you think uh, there's a there's a tribe in Mexico called the Taramura tribe, they run long distances for fun. There's, there's no hunting involved. They do it for fun. They just they have competitions. They have like a festival the day before. They smash a load of corn beer and then they go for a massive run the next day. But what they wear on the feet are homemade sandals made from tyres. I know it sounds crazy, but they make their own sandals from car tyres. But then when you look at that, that means it's flat. And it just, it just protects their feet from uh, spiky thorns and things on the ground. So when we look at um, footwear... We have to look at how the footwear is made up. So you can get uh, different shoes called zero drop or barefoot shoes. And then you've got the normal ones you'll see in shops from other footwear companies, which have got stabilization, arch support, things to stop you overpronating, things to stop you underpronating. Pronating, please explain. So pronate, pronation is the way your foot falls. So really hard to describe it without doing actions with my hand. But it, it's if you put your foot down, it'll turn out to the side slightly. When you overpronate, it'll turn out to the side too much and then roll back in. Does that make sense? I know you're watching my hand do it, but... So basically, it's the way your foot rotates when it hits the ground and then lifts up again. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember the exact the exact year, but there was a, a, years ago, around about the 60s or 70s, I think, most most professional runners, well, well not just professional runners, all, all running shoes were flat. And then... A couple of guys working at a well-known uh, shoe company, they decided to start just messing around, and they put the they put a sole in a waffle iron to see what had happened, and that in, that improved the cushioning. And then they put it on shoes. People thought, "Oh, this is great!" And then that's just developed and developed, and and now you get you see the shoes you've got today with lots of cushioning. Now the thing about the cushioning is, and the way the heels are, it's called heel stack. So if you think about a lady wearing high heels, inside a shoe, it's not quite as pronounced as, as a high heel. But in a high heel, your toes are lower than your heel. In a normal traditional running shoe, your toes are lower than the heel. What that does, it cushions the heel so you can land on your heel. If you run barefoot and land on your heel, it really hurts because we're not designed to move in that way. There's, there's a certain series of movements which we're meant to have for locomotion. So if you, you land on your heel... Still going to send a shockwave up your shin and into your knee. If we've got different shoes that affect the way our foot rolls, so the pronation again, if we don't need it, or if we've got asymmetry, that's going to travel up and it's going to start to affect the hips. That will affect your posture as well. So if you think about when you see people running, have you ever seen someone bending forward as they run? As I said before, running is quite postural. The best um, running position is being upright because you've got all the, all the muscles in your core and your back supporting that motion uh, also that makes you use your glutes more as well which are big muscles as i said if you're leaning forward at the waist when you're running which you will do because you can overstride, so you, you, you can make bigger strides because it doesn't hurt because you've got that cushioning what that does it closes off your hips as well so there's you've got a muscle called the psoas and that's your hip flexor and it attaches at the base of your spine and then it comes forward to the front and attaches to the front of your, your thigh so Every time you run and you bend forward, you're not stretching that muscle out. So that works in opposite with your glutes, so your bum muscles. 
So when you stand up and you're not running or you're trying to move in a normal way, that's going to start to pull on your back. If we link this back to um, the last episode, we spoke about neuroplasticity. Now, neuroplasticity is good, but it also works both ways. It can also be bad. So you can, as well as learning good habits, you can learn bad habits yeah. from it, basically. Yeah. So if you do something often enough, you, your brain will shape to make that the best option for it to do because it's easier and it takes less energy. So if you, if you um, start to move in a bad way, then you'll get really good at moving in a bad way. So what we're looking at is bending forward at the waist. I'm sure you've seen people do that. When you've got cushions on your heel, it's really easy to land on your heel and take big strides because you're protected. That That's not um, as natural for the body as, as you might think. So by bending forward, your brain thinks, okay, this is normal, this is normal, and you get used to it. And that's where we start to get uh, the, the dysfunctions. So you land on your heel, that sends shockwave up through your shins into your knees. I've got a mate. And years ago, he did loads of running and he actually ended up getting stress fractures in his shins from running, which means he couldn't do anything for quite a while because he had to let it heal. With all the all the changes in controlling your feet, what you get is a thing called um, muscular asymmetry. So you'll be different on one side to the other. That can start to twist your hips. It won't be a massive amount, but it'll twist it enough. And that has an effect on the muscle surrounding it. So that's where you can get tight muscles and pain there. We spoke about plantar fasciitis. So when you think about a heel, if you stand on your tiptoes for quite a long time, it's going to start to ache in your calf, isn't it? If you're supported there, it's not going to ache as much. But what is going to happen is your body will get used to being in that position. So your calf will shorten. So when you do start to move, so most people get plantar fasciitis or get, get the symptoms of it when they wake up in the morning. Is that the same for you, Mark? Uh, yes, I do. It's always much worse in the morning. So, you know, by the time I get through to, you know, after breakfast, it's it tended to calm down a little bit. And then if I stop doing something, so if I'm sitting working at the desk for a long period of time, again, when I get up, it'll start hurting again. So you've got to think that your body's been in that relaxed state, the muscles shortened, and then you stand up and then the muscles trying to lengthen. It all relates to one line of, of tissue. So you've got your, your muscles, your Achilles tendon, and then under your foot, you've got the plantar fascia and they all work together for movement. So if your calf's tight, that can have an effect on the plantar fascia and that's where the pain can come from. So basically this this is about running technique really. Yeah. And the fact that certain running shoes, certain modern running shoes do create a problem where you're not running in a natural way or the way the body is designed to run. Yeah. So it can cause problems, knees, hips and various places. Yeah. Uh, like I say, you, you'll bend forward at the waist because to make a bigger stride, you have to bend forward at the waist. What that does is your your hip flexors, so the muscles that make you lift your your leg up, so your knee up into the air, they attach to your, your thighs, but then also they start on your spine. So when you are trying to come up straight, you're getting more pressure, so that's pulling on your spine because they've shortened. Uh, so when we look at shoes that we've got now, they have a massive effect on why running is bad for you. As I said before, so Running integrates mobility and flexibility and posture. So with all these all these things affected, it, it's no surprise that it's it's making it painful and people are getting injured. So we, we spoke about um, persistence hunters. They wouldn't have had a nice shiny pair of new new running trainers. And there's not much incidence of them getting iliotibial band syndrome or, or, or plantar fasciitis or problem with the hips and the knees because they're constantly moving. And they're moving in the proper way that the body's designed to move. 
So when we look at shoes, you've got a thing called the drop. So we spoke about the heel stack. So you can get things called zero drop, which means they're flat. So automatically then, your heel is at a lower lower place. So you're getting more stretch or more range of movement through through the heel and in the calf. With that, you can also get things called barefoot shoes, or you can just run barefoot. And what they'll do, what the barefoot shoes do, is they have a thinner sole, pretty much no cushioning. So when you do run, if you land on your heel, and you can try, if you if you run um, on a treadmill, you can just have a go at running on a treadmill with, without your, your shoes on. And if you land on your heel, it's painful because we're not designed to do it. So what, what happens is, when you start to take away shoes, and again, we come back to neuroplasticity because the more you do it, the more your body will get used to it. If you get on a treadmill and start running without your shoes on, you will get pain to start with, but then your brain will think this is wrong and your body will suddenly adapt and you'll get um, like a, a heavy sound as you're landing and pounding on, on the belt. And then eventually that sound will ease off and you, your step will shorten. Say you are running, uh, you know, you're trying to run barefoot on, on a treadmill. Where are you landing? What, what part of the foot are you going to be landing on? Once, once your body has decided landing on the heel is painful, I'm going to do something else. So what will happen is your foot will start to land underneath your body instead of in front of you. So when you're leaning forward at the waist and overstriding, taking big strides, your legs will come out in front and you will land on your foot with your foot in front of your body. It's, it's just the physics of it. So when you take away that overstride, your feet will land directly underneath you. And what will happen is uh, it's called the forefoot. So, you know, the meaty part of the ball of your feet towards the toes. So you'll, you'll, start, you'll land either on that or the midfoot. And what will happen is it'll become a lot easier. Your step will shorten, but your cadence, so how many times your feet land in a minute, will increase. What that will do as well with your feet landing underneath you, it'll bring you more upright. So then your glutes will start having more of an effect and your run will become more efficient and you'll get stronger. And also those, those injuries that you might have got will start to be negated. So going back to the question we asked right at the beginning, running, is it good or bad for you? It can be very good for you if you're running with the correct form, yes. basically. And, and you you advocate the, the barefoot running shoes and things like yeah. that. I, I mean, I noticed you're wearing them today, funny yeah. enough. I always wear them. It depends how you run. And can, can you teach yourself to run in that way, in that barefoot fashion? Yeah, you can. Yeah, um, It's like swimming. You think running, people know how to run. You'd think that swimming, people know how to swim, but people have swimming lessons. And it's the same thing. You, you can teach yourself or you can have lessons. It's something that I teach. There's certain drills you can go through to improve things and get a, a better sense of how to do it. But yeah, by removing the issue, you take away other issues, if that makes sense. So, well, one of, one of the things talking to you over these, these episodes that we've done is that everything is weirdly interconnected and not in the way that you would obviously think it is. And, and, and parts of your body hurt not because next, necessarily the next thing next to it, but things that are joined two or three on. Yeah. If that may, I, I don't know whether I'm making any sense now. No, yeah, you are. Yeah, but what you're talking about is the way you run and the way your feet hit the ground affects the way your hips feel. Yeah. Or your knee or your back even to a certain extent. Yeah, and it, it, it it's natural energy. So when, when you run and you're bending forward and you overstride, you, you use smaller muscles, so you use more energy. Whereas when you're upright, and you, you can do this even wearing traditional shoes, 
but you need to learn the technique first. And once you've learned the technique, you can get into it more. And, and like I say, neuroplasticity, it becomes the norm. You just have to do it a lot more because with the cushioning, you can transition back. When you're talking about running upright, the person who comes to mind straight away is Michael Jordan, uh, who ran in a very upright style and was almost laughed at. But of course, he was an incredible athlete as well. Yeah, well, you've got three modes of movement, really. You've got walking, you've got running, and then you've got sprinting. Uh, we, we don't do jogging because jogging came about because of modern running shoes. But as I was saying, you you learn the technique and then you can start to do it wearing any any footwear, really. So when we're looking at, is running bad for you? Well, it, it, it depends. So it can give you injuries, it can cause damage, but it depends on how you do it. When we're looking at, is running good for you? What it does do, it improves your posture, it improves your core strength, it improves your natural movement. It's coordinated. So when we, again, from the last episode, it's coordinated, it's complex movement. So you, you, your brain is processing an awful lot of yeah. things while you're running in a correct style. I, I would say that um, off-road running is probably better for that than road running, but running's running. It's still both good. But what else it does, it affects your heart rate. So the more you do it, the stronger your heart will get. Uh, you've got a thing called stroke volume. So the amount of blood that's pushed around your system from one heart pump will increase. And you've got tidal volume with your lungs as well. So the amount of oxygen you can take in and process in one breath will increase as well. You, you increase your diaphragmatic strength. So the diaphragm is the muscle that makes you breathe. Exercising all these different parts of your body, all these different muscles, and they're all getting stronger in the same way that if you were doing you know, dumbbells, that would, that would yeah. make, make your arms stronger. Yeah. It, it literally is increasing the movement, so exercising those particular muscles. It, yeah, it releases um, endorphins and dopamine. And I, th I think we spoke about it in the past, that affects cortisol release. So it's a, it's a stress reliever. And with that, it reduces oxidative stress. So you, you've got less free radicals bouncing around the body. For me, the takeaway of this is that, and it's like we always say, it's great for your mental health. You're outside, you're doing stuff. Physical health, if you do it correctly, is also can really help. So what would your takeaways be? If you could say, right, I'm going to tell you, this is the best way to use running for your mental and physical and spiritual health. I'd say to start with, take your shoes off and get on the grass. Just have a practice of moving around without anything on your feet or invest in a cheap pair of barefoot shoes. So barefoot is slightly different to zero drop. So the barefoot shoes have what's called a bigger toe box. So you've got more space for your toes to spread out. So if you think about your hand, if you were doing a press up, you spread your fingers out nice and wide. Gives yourself a, a much bigger base yeah. to work on. If you think about your feet, especially if, if there's ladies out there listening and they wear pointy shoes, if you have a look at your feet, all your toes are nice and squoze together. You've got less firm base. You've got less strength in the foot because of that. By having a foot-shaped shoe, it allows your foot to act naturally, but also it protects it from, I mean... I live in Telford. There's lots of glass on the floor and other stuff that I don't want to stand in. So there is a purpose for shoes. We do need them. But what we don't need is all this cushioning to protect and support things. So if you think about the bridge of your foot, the arch of your foot, if you've got an arch bridge and you support that with lots of things, you're not fixing the bridge. What you need to do is fix it. So if you take away support for your foot, it will get stronger. It will build up the muscle yeah. in, the, in the foot. Okay, so, so we're looking at... The, so the main thing is... Walk around barefoot. Walk around in your home barefoot. Yeah. 
and in the garden if your garden is safe yeah, for that yeah. kind of thing. So what you're really saying is, is that really? And then if you're out and about, try and use something with that gives your toes a lot more space to spread out sideways, for yeah. the want of a better phrase, not long pointy ones, but side, sideways shoes, what we used to call beetle crushers in the yeah. old days. And barefoot running shoes, not necessarily drop heel, but barefoot running shoes. Yeah, uh, all, all barefoot running shoes are zero drop heel yeah. as well. But the, the other thing that you can do, and it's something I use with clients, and it, it's come come about from studies that leap runners, their natural cadence is around about 180 steps a minute. So if you get a metronome and set it to 180, so every time a foot goes down, it should land on a beat. What that will do, if you just get used to doing that, it doesn't matter how fast you run, whether you're fast or slow. If you just get used to doing that, then it'll shorten your step and that will begin to negate the overstride. Okay. And and the other thing, of course, is to run upright. Don't lean forward. Yeah. Run upright. By negating the overstride, you're going to come more upright anyway. Right. So, so these things all add up, yeah. like we've said before, everything is sort of related. Okay. Well, that's fantastic, Rob. That is really, really useful. It, it is interesting when you talk about things like this, which, which are exercises that people, lots of people do all the time. And you see people running around the streets. They're not, although they are helping with their cardio, they're not necessarily doing the their bone structure and, and muscle structure a, a great yeah, deal of sure. good. And which is why people get more injuries, of course. And once again, you've managed to explain to us that people who are not influenced by Western society seem to uh, still do things properly, even though they don't know they're doing them properly. Even when you look at babies, we spoke about babies last week as well, on the yeah. last one, when they grow up to be toddlers and the way they squat is different to, so most modern people can't squat right down. It's called the hunter-gatherer squat. When you're down, it's meant to be a relaxed position. But again, you start putting shoes on and that affects everything. And then when you watch a, we watch a toddler or a young, not a young child, but a baby to toddler, if you watch them run, they'll land on the forefoot because that's natural and they haven't learned the bad movement patterns. Yeah. If people want to know more about this and want to talk to you about it or anything, what's the best way to get in contact with you? So you can email at rob at chrysalis-fitness.com. And you've got a website as well, which explains what you do. It is www.chrysalis-fitness.com. Okay. And you also uh, are quite happy for people to message you on WhatsApp. Yeah. So WhatsApp is uh, 07824-880-311. And Rob will respond to anybody who wants to talk to him about this. We'd love to hear your comments. Uh, please subscribe and like the podcast as well. And tell your friends and colleagues and, and family about it as well. So we can get the message out there. Thanks very much to you for listening. We'll be back next week with more from Rob and uh, the body mechanic with uh, Rob Arnold from Chrysalis Fitness Training. So thanks very much and stay safe. Thanks very much, Rob. Thank you very much. This is a 1386 audio production. 